Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Open them up to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Okay, so I'm going to run you guys through a little quiz here. See if you can finish. See if you can finish these sentences. Okay? This morning we're going to be talking about seeing from God's view, what a worldview is, and I know that you know what a worldview is, even if you think you don't know what a worldview is. So see if you can finish this sentence. Life is like a box of chocolates. There you go, right? That is a worldview. That is a view of how life works. That's Forrest Gump. If you haven't seen that movie, shame on you. That's what you're doing this afternoon. Um, Another one, living la vida. Also, worldview. Now it's going to get a little trickier. Obey your parents. (laughs) That is biblical. But I was thinking the Sprite commercial, obey your thirst. Missed that one. Okay, last one, have it. You knew that one, didn't you? Who does that one by? Is that McDonald's, Burger King? Which one? Burger King? Okay. Um, those, that is, those are all worldviews. Those are ways to look at life. And as we're talking about this series, What on Earth Am I Here For?, your worldview is so important. If you've ever heard the term biblical worldview, it means that you look at life through the lens of God's word. Um, Another definition for worldview is it's much like when you're building, it's it's like the invisible part of a house, meaning the foundation, the studs. You don't see it, but it's what everything is built upon. It's like your spine is the worldview. Everything on you is built upon that. If not, you would just be a blob of muscle and skin. I know, kind of gross, but that's the reality. That's how important Worldview is. And when we talk about building and we talk about construction, um, I, our family got to see this up close. How important it is that what is unseen is still having an effect. Because your worldview is going to shape the way that you build this life. And the way that your foundation is on your house or what is underneath your kitchen counters is a big deal because it's going to affect what you can actually see. It's going to affect because everything's built upon it. And if what you're building upon is false, then what comes from that is going to be false. We uh, live in track housing, and um, I would not recommend it. If you don't know how they build track housing, this is how they do it. So we live in a cul-de-sac, and when they're building, there's just dirt, right? So they, they come through, they, it's all flattened out, And then they have their team, and they have this one team of people, and they start, you know, working on the foundation. 
They finish, they start framing, then they go to the next house. They don't finish this house. They come over here and they do the framing here and they do the framing. They go all the way around the cul-de-sac. Then they come back all the way around. They start putting walls on, electricity. You know, well, they put the electricity in before the walls. But they go through everything step by step because they're not building a house. They're building houses and they're trying to do it fast and they're trying to do it inexpensive. So we had a uh, flood, well, not a flood, but a leak in our house which soaked everything and so um, we had to remove things, and, and one of the things that ended up happening was replacing the counters. And the counters before, if you've ever been to our house before, it was gross. The, there were these white tiles, and they were kind of just, they weren't, they weren't straight, you know? And I thought, oh, that's what happens over time, because they're tiles. So, you know, we ripped those up, and when I looked underneath, it, you're supposed to have plywood. If you don't know much about construction, that's just flat, straight wood. So it's like you have this um, uh, framing and then straight, nice, clean plywood. We didn't have that. And I was like, what is this? And the, the contractors are like, well, this is what happens. You see, when they're building and they're going really fast, whatever spare wood they had, nothing goes to waste. Oh, nothing went to waste. It all went down into our kitchen counters framing. And so what it was was it wasn't... I don't even know what kind of wood it is. It's like, it looked like driftwood, except it wasn't in the ocean for a long time. It was like this, and it, I'm, I don't even know where it came from, because I'm thinking, I've been to Lowe's. I, I, I'm a pretty handy guy. I don't even see where this wood is at Lowe's. So whatever it was, it was scraps from something else. So as they're going around, nothing goes to waste. Maybe it was on a roof, which we'll find out about later. I don't know. But they put that down, and that's why the counters went like this. That's building on a poor foundation. It's invisible. You don't see it until you build upon it. And over time, that's what happens. When we, this morning, start talking about our worldview, we need to understand how important it is because everything you have is going to be built upon that. Your life is being built, but what is it being built upon? And so before we jump into uh, God's word, um, I want us to look at some of the other worldviews that are out there. Because there's plenty of things that we can build our life upon. So um, I think Rick Warren did a great job of, of breaking down. He, uh, he chose six of them, and I thought it was so well done that I wanted to basically steal it. Um, not word for word. I tweaked a few things. But these are some popular worldviews that are out there. Okay? Um, here's one. Uh, materialism. And a slogan for that could be the one with the most toys wins. But this is what God's word says because this is not an appropriate thing to build your life upon. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's not worth building your life upon. Here's another one. Individualism. I've got to think of me first. Now, that makes a lot of sense. You hear that, you're like, well, that doesn't sound that weird. I've got to think of me first, of course. You're thinking about being on a plane. Well, I, I, I got to breathe first, and then I can help the next person next to me. They tell me every time I fly, make sure I... But in general, that's not what life is about. That's not something to build your life upon. That's called individualism. These are all isms, because these are philosophical worldviews. Um, the other one, do whatever feels good is the slogan for it. Hedonism. And this is what uh, the scripture says about that, Proverbs 21, 17 from the message. Are you addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The pursuit 
of pleasure is never satisfied. The book of Proverbs are wise sayings from men who have lived life. Doesn't mean they live perfect lives, but they've lived long enough, they've gotten old enough that they're wise. Wise means they've made enough mistakes. And Solomon, who wrote this proverb most likely, had every opportunity to get whatever he wanted. And so he's speaking from experience, saying, are you addicted to thrills like I used to be? It's an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Because I know I was loaded. I could get anything I wanted. I was the king, and I still was never satisfied. Whatever works for you. You ever heard that phrase before? Well, whatever works for you. It makes, it, you hear, you're like, well, that sounds, yeah, that sounds great. That's called pragmatism. And this is what Proverbs says about that. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. This is one that is pretty common. Uh, you're doing, if it works for you, keep doing it. There's so many things that we're doing and that we have done that at the moment, they seem pretty good. When they were building our house, you're like, yeah, works for me. They built the house, the people that bought the house before us, when it was finished, they went, yeah, looks good. Is that working for you? Works for me. Now, picture this. Picture that uh, my friend Colin, who's here from Santa Barbara, we decide we're going to go to downtown San Diego where we went to college. We go down there. We go to one of the top buildings. And um, I decide, you know what, man? I've always wanted to jump off the Hyatt. I think it would be really cool. Really? You sure about that? Whatever works for you. Okay. So I jump off the building. And he's, he's very fast. He's, he, he played soccer in college. So he runs down the stairs, and I'm about 450 feet on the fall. Woo! No parachute. Woo! How you doing? Doing good. It's working for me. I'm still going. He goes down to 1,000 feet. How you doing? Working for me. It's going great. We all know where this is going to end up, don't we? It doesn't matter if it works for you. I could tell you that the, the, the foundation of my kitchen counters, it might have worked for them, but it didn't work. It doesn't work. You know what's another important thing you need to do in these houses in case any of you are builders? Could you please put Hardy Backer into the shower areas? We didn't have any. You're like, oh, I don't know. I don't build. Well, I, wasn't, I knew what Hardy Backer was. I didn't really understand how important it was until I found our shower. Because in our shower, all it is is framing some black paper and drywall. And then they put some tile over it. So then over time, it starts filling with water. You don't even see it happen. It looks all great. But that's not what you build upon. A worldview is what you're building your life upon. God doesn't exist or matter. That is called atheism. And this is what Romans says about that, the contemporary English version. From the beginning of creation, God has shown what he is like by all he has made. That's why people do not have any excuse. They know about God, but they don't honor him or even thank him. They claim to be wise, but they are fools. And the last one that we'll look at uh, this morning is, you are your own God. 
And that's called naturalism. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. And worship created things rather than the creator. These are other ways that people build their life. What are you building your life on? When I was younger, um, what was shown to me, what I thought I was supposed to build my life on was, if, if there was a slogan I was going to make, if I was going to be Forrest Gump, I would say, life is a game, and I'm going to win, and I'm going to crush you. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That's what I thought life was about. That's what was modeled to me. That was shown. Okay, so I'm going to dominate. And that was my goal, whatever it meant, whether it was sports, school, popularity, whatever it was, to me, that's what, that's what we were here on earth for. That was my worldview. That's what was passed down to me. I embraced it, and I started building my life upon it. And I started my, where I spent my time, my talents, my money. Um, I had the OP shorts with a corduroy. Why? Because it was cool, and I needed to be cool. That was part of winning the game. And yet, there was a point, and I didn't realize I was reaching a point. I wasn't at, you know how they say, when you hit rock bottom, I was still doing pretty good. Life seemed pretty awesome. But then I was confronted with this scripture. And this is the worldview that God is calling all of us to. He's saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world, which is another way to say, do not conform to the other worldviews, the views from the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, or another way to say God's view. So not worldview, but God's view. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's view is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This passage wrecked me because this was the first time that I read the Bible because I was not a kid that grew up reading the Bible but I started you've heard me share this before I got sucked into this youth group because they played basketball and they had sports and just another way to win and dominate so I'm there and they're a bunch of church kids so I'm going to kill them I don't care how short I am <laughs> so I go to this and then you know, they've got these Bibles. I literally stole one of their Bibles. I didn't know they were handing them out, but I didn't want to ask, so I just took it. And I'm reading through it. I start from the beginning. It's so boring. Genesis, oh, and then it just started getting worse. Like, Genesis was amazing compared to, like, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and especially Numbers. So then I didn't know what to do. So then I went back to the church, the youth group, and then I stole another book. It was a Nazarene church, so they had a, a they called their Nazarene manual. So it's like the cliff notes of where to go. And so just reading and somehow I don't remember how I got to Romans 12 too. And when I read this passage, I realized I've completely conformed to the patterns of this world. I didn't go, I've adopted their worldview. I was choosing pragmatism, maybe naturalism. I didn't know any of that, but I knew that I was building on shifting sand. The picture that I had in my head and someone shared it later, so maybe everybody has this, or maybe I started it, probably not me, but I had this picture that what I'd been doing was climbing this ladder, you know, winning. So I'm climbing this ladder, and then I felt to some degree, compared to my peers around me, I'd reached the top. But 
with this passage, it became clear to me that I made it maybe to the top and was looking over onto the roof. And when I got there, there was nothing there. And it was like, ah, oh, crap. I'm leaning against the wrong building. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm, I don't know what view I should have. And so this began the process of me looking into God's word because I knew wherever else I was getting direction from, it was incorrect. And as I started to look at God's word, I was like, the, there's this understanding that when I read, I'm like, this is truth. This is the truth. Nobody had to tell me. Nobody had to talk me into it or persuade me. As I was reading God's word, I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Now, I read a few things. I'm like, ooh, really? I know that's true, but I don't want that to be true because that means I've got to change things because, I mean, I've already built it on this cruddy driftwood-looking stuff, and then I'd have to rip it all up, and then I've got to change everything. I mean, that's a lot of work. Couldn't I just kind of fudge it a little bit? But still, I knew it was true. There's a quote that I want to read to you uh, from a guy named Tim Keller, pastor in New York of uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And when I read this quote, I thought of us. I thought of you. I thought of me. I thought of the Christian church, the big C in this area in Southern California. And I want to read it to you. Um, I'm learning this new process here now that um, I'm old enough to need these glasses. And so I'm, I'm going to read it, but I want to share something that happened last week that I think will explain what I hope you hear from this. So I had the glasses thing going on, and so I'm reading like this, and then I looked out, and right now, you are all very blurry to me because these are just reading glasses. And as I was looking, I, I, I was caught unaware because this is all new to me, right? Like, I don't know where to put them. I'm like, do I hang them here? And I hadn't before had them on and looked out to talk to anybody. I usually look at it and pull them off. And so I turned and looked, and it just was, like, wrong because I'm talking to you, but I can't see you. And that's when I realized, it, this was encouraging for me to realize, I'm not trying to get through a speech you know how like when they're teaching you to do public speaking, which by the way, where's Topher? He ran in fear. He's really good. Like they, they were joking outside, you know, Kirsty's saying, you know, Topher, he likes to talk. No, he was good. So I think when he gave those speech classes, he did really well. But they tell you if you're nervous, just imagine everybody naked, right? Which I think would be distracting. So then they say, okay, imagine them in their underwear. <laughs> they're in their underwear so you can feel more confident. So some people would go, oh, that'd be great. I could just put these on. I can't see anybody. So I could just talk. And then nobody's there. They're just these blurs. But I couldn't do it because I want to see you because I'm up here wanting so badly for you to know this truth, for you to know God's word so that you can build your life on the solid foundation because with all of my being, I believe in God's word. And Tim Keller feels that same way towards his people in New York towards his church. And so he said this um, to his church and to the big church in the New York area. And this is what he said. He said, there have been many times in New York City that I've seen people make professions of faith that seemed quite heartfelt. But when they're faced with serious consequences, if they maintain their identification with Christ, for example, missing the opportunity for a new sexual partner, or some major professional setback, or whatever you want to fill in there, they bailed on their Christian commitment. 
The probable reason was that they had not undergone deeper world change. They had fitted Christ to their individualistic worldview rather than fitting their worldview to Christ. They professed faith simply because Christianity worked for them and not because they grasped it as true, whether it is working for them this year or not. They had not experienced a power encounter between the gospel and their individualistic world view. When I first did this quote, I was underlining this. By the end of the quote, I'd underlined the entire thing. So I'm like, well, I better just show the whole thing then. But if I were to choose just one piece of it to share with us this morning, it would be this picture at the very top of this slide. They had fitted Christ to their individualistic worldview rather than fitting their worldview to Christ. That we try to fit Christ into our life rather than letting our life be deconstructed on purpose and let him be our architect. Let him be our contractor. Let him be the owner. What on earth am I here for? That's the question, right? What on earth am I here for? Not to conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the Holy Spirit so that we may know his view or his will, which means we build our life on those bones, on that foundation, and being willing to scrap anything else that's already been built, no matter how old you are, no matter how much you put into it. Because they had not experienced a power encounter. That understanding, not of is this working for me or not, but is this true? Is there a God? Did he create me? Does he love me recklessly? And does he have the words of eternal life? Because if that is true, if you've experienced that, this is not hard to do. But if you haven't, this is impossible. Don't worry about building Worry about discovering, God, are you really there? Are you real? And if so, I'll, I'm all in, but you've got to show me. That is the difference between being a Christian versus being Christian. Now, the only difference is one letter, the letter A. It's the only thing that's changed between being a Christian and being Christian. But it makes all the difference in the world. Being a Christian is like being part of a club. We have several clubs that we know of, several that we're involved in, and one of them that's a pretty cool one. Um, you're part of that club, you pay your dues, you get a sticker. That's all you gotta do. And so many of us will look at being a Christian as, as being part of a club, being part of a group. But that is not what Christ has called us to. He's called us to being Christian. And that means to be Christ-like. That's what Christian means. It means little Christ. It means to seek him. It means to model your life after his, to build on that foundation. That's what this is all about. That's why in the passages that we looked at this morning, we looked at Matthew 7, 24 to 27, but right before that, remember we talk about this all the time, we need to look at this in context. Jesus is sharing in the Sermon on the Mount. But he shares a lot more. This, what we're going to go through today is the very end, the very end of the sermon. 
But right before the very end, he says this. He says, many of you are going to say to me, Lord and Lord, but you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're not talking about heaven and hell, the kingdom of heaven, which means that full, abundant life that we've been talking about. Many of you are going to want that. And you're going to say, Lord, Lord, but you're not going to get it. You know what the word Lord means? It means boss. It means decision maker. You're going to call me decision maker. You're going to call me boss. But I'm not really your boss, and I'm not really the one that's making the decision in your life. You're fitting me in. And you're going to say to me, yeah, but didn't you see all those great God things we did? We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. We performed miracles. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Do you know anyone that's performed miracles? You do. You might not know it, but you do. There's people in this church that have done it. There's people in this church that have, that have um, been messengers of God. There are people here who have cast out demons. But yet Jesus is saying, so? You built, you did these things, but you didn't build your life upon my words. You didn't trust me. You, didn't be, you weren't being Christian. You were part of this club and you picked and chose what you wanted. But are you going to build this life on a solid foundation? And so that leads us into this passage. So open up your Bibles. Um, I told you open to Matthew 7, verse 24. Now we've already read it. We've already read the scripture out loud, so I'm not gonna read it verse by verse, but I'm gonna paint the picture of what we've already read. You've already seen the book, now we're gonna look. And so Jesus, he's finishing this sermon, he goes through everything, what it means to pray, what it means um, that we're the salt of the earth, how we're supposed to be living, that we're the light to the world. He talks about the importance of not judging by the measure in which you judge, you'll be judged. So he covers life. If you don't know where to start, if you've never read the Bible, Start in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. And so he's giving this sermon, and he, the way where he's given at, there's a sea of Galilee, so it's, it's a lake, but it's like big, huge lake, big old lake, and he's up a little bit, and he's talking down, and it's like a, I mean, they didn't have any microphones, they didn't have any sound systems, so as he's speaking, the sound travels down. So they're facing him, he's facing the lake, and he's up, there's a couple different places they thought he might have done it. They built a church in one place called the Beatitudes Church, and there's another one on the other side of the lake. But regardless, he's up high, and they're down low, and then it comes right down to the lake. And so, as he typically does, he looks at his surroundings, and he describes the truth based on his surroundings, and he gives them a metaphor. And he said, everyone who hears these words of mine, all the words he's just given him, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, Jesus, he was a builder. He was a carpenter. He knows these things. So, but he's also staring at them, and as he's looking at them, he can see past them, and he can see the sand. And the kind of sand around the Sea of Galilee is this, um, it, 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 they call it alluvial sand, which means it's, well, it's kind of like my backyard. When it's dry, it's like brick. Many of you have that exact same kind of backyard, or you know that kind of dirt where it's dirt, but it's really not dirt. You don't ever fall on it. It's like falling on concrete. And so as he's looking down at that, he's saying the person that is wise knows not to just build their house on the top of that beach. And they're all like, duh. They have all grown around there. They know how it is because then once the rains come, the Jordan River fills. And when the rain falls in Israel, you're like, oh, it's a desert. But the rain is brutal. For any of you that are coming with us to Israel on the study trip, um, 
I don't want to turn this into that sharing right now, but we're going to Israel. You'll see this. You'll be there where this Sermon on the Mount happened. And you'll be able to see the sand. And that will be in November, so it'll be fairly wet. But if you get hit in the rain, it's like, what? This is awesome. Because you're just there and you leave. But if you're living there and that rain falls, you like batten, you batten down the hatches. Because the river's going to fill and the, the sea is going to start to rise. And so as it's rising, whatever's in its way, bye bye he gone. And so when you're building these houses, they all understand, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to build my house that way. And so now imagine, he says, there's two people. There's the wise one, and then there's the fool. Now, wise just means common sense. That's what it means in his language, just the, the wise one, the one that knows better. And then the fool, you know how you've been told, and maybe you tell your kids, don't, if you have kids, you might want to if you don't want them to hear this word, it's not a cuss word, but maybe you say it is. You might want to give them the old earmuffs right now. The term is, don't say stupid. That's a bad word. Well, you don't want them to hear that right now because then when they say the word, they're going to go, well, Jesus said it because he did. That's what fool means. As we look at this part right here where he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. You're like, oh, a fool. No, he's saying a stupid person. Stupid meaning you know what you should do, but you don't do it. That's the definition of stupidity. And so he's saying, you've got this wise one that has common sense, and then you have this other stupid one who knows what he should do, but he's not going to do it. He's going to cut the corners. He's like, ah, I know I should probably do this, but that's more work, I don't want to do it. And so can you picture this happening? Can you picture two people building, right? And then you can't picture the men building without picturing their wives and their kids, um, are you almost done with that yet? Are you almost done? Are we getting there? How much longer? Especially the kids, right? But especially the wife. Like, hey, come on. How, how far out are we until we're going to be done here? And so then you've got the wise one over here, and he's building. If you've ever done building projects at your house, the other people that are watching, if you do it right, they're going to ask you this question. What is taking so long? Right, Steph? She asks me that all the time because I'm, I'm like, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to get it done right. And as you're doing it, it looks like nothing's happening. So this wise one over here, see, I just made myself look like the wise one. So he's over here, and he's just digging. Sometimes you have to dig down to 10 feet because they had, how do you pronounce it, by the way? Is it, is it basalt or basalt? I think it's basalt, stone. You guys are just nodding. All right, we're just going to go with what I said, basalt. All right, so no one's, no one's confident enough to just throw it out there. So... They would build sometimes from archaeological studies in the 1970s, they found that they'd built down to about 10 feet. So in this area, not down on the beach, of course, but if they're going to build, they would go at least 10 feet down sometimes to build into the stone. So then you got this other guy over here, and his wife is like, oh, look, you're so much faster than he is. We're about to move in. And she's looking over at the other lady. Mm-hmm. And the kid's like, well, we're about to move in. And so then this lady's over here going, oh, my gosh, look, they're almost done. You don't understand. We need to do this. Because we all know it's coming, right? It's going to happen. The storm is going to come. The rains will fall. Is our house built on solid ground? And Jesus is saying, listen to me. If you don't listen to me, you're like that builder. We all know. We all live here in the Sea of Galilee area. We all know how ridiculous that is to build on the sand, no matter how solid it looks, because the storm will come. The rain came down, 
The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, some of your translations will say that the house fell. Some of your translations will say that it fell with a great crash. You know what falls? Glasses fall. Um, plates fall. Uh, edifices, buildings, they collapse. Lives, our lives don't just fall. They collapse. We have got to decide where do we stand. Are we trying to fit Christ into our life or are we going to build our lives upon him? Where does our trust really lie? Where, where does the rubber meet the road here? It doesn't make sense for us to keep looking at these passages, keep discussing this, and yet not getting into the nitty-gritty of what he's trying to get across. As he finishes his sermon, he says, look, be wise. Don't be stupid. Listen to me. If he had glasses, he'd take them off. But he's Jesus, so he had perfect vision. Build upon this. So we as a church, um, we've got baptisms coming up in July. And we've been wrestling with what baptism really is. When you approach baptism, this is, this is where we are leaning right now. Because we, you know, we thought baptism was simple, but as you look at God's word and you look over time, Baptism means that you are willing to take your life and to build it upon him. It doesn't mean you have it all figured out. You might even have built on some shaky ground. You might even have some bad framing. But you are making the decision to say, you know what, Lord? You are the boss. You're in charge. You're the contractor. I trust you. I will now build my life upon you. You are the one in whom I trust. That's a huge gap. And yet there's this beauty to it where you get to the point where every decision you make, you make because you're building upon Christ. And I was with some guys this morning as we were talking about this. Um, it started to seem like it got a little complicated. Well, should I do this? What about, should I buy this? Should I not buy that? Should I live here? Should I move there? Should I... This is the simplicity. This is what we've been talking about. What on earth am I here for? And maybe some of these terms will come back, but they all point in the same direction. It's this simple. We don't live our life for ourselves. We live it for God and for others. So every decision we make, we need to do for that purpose. That's how simple it is. You make decisions not for you, not to win, but you do it to love God and to bless others. That's why we do this. And we trust that God is going to do what he wants through us as we offer up to him, even as small as it may seem. We had a simple decision. Is this really a God decision? Do you need to pray about this? Maybe. But we had lights put up in our backyard. And me and uh, my son did it. We're not master craftsmen. Did not go so well. Things started ripping. It fell down. So we brought in Johnny, the master craftsman, had him put it in. The lights are all up. Why do it? Really? Do we really? It was not, I mean, it sounds cheap, just lights, but then you got to buy the cable, and then you got to do this, and, you, and then you got to pay someone to do it, right? Unless you do it yourself. But the reason we did it is because we want our house to be a place where people come. 
We feel that's what God's put us here on this earth to do, to bless others. And so when you do that, do it for others. I remember since, well, Colin's not here anymore. He probably had to go take care of Grant. But I remember when, when we were getting a decision of a ring. My, Steph, when we got married, said, hey, I'm not a big jewelry person, but when we hit the 10-year mark, you're gonna need to get me my 10-year ring. She doesn't ask for anything. So before we got married, she goes, this is just something in my head. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I'm thinking. So we had the 10-year band, but the, the actual diamond itself, I don't wanna give you all the details, but not so nice had flaws that I could see. And as I'm wrestling with this, I'm like, oh, those diamonds are expensive. We got a friend. I don't think we should. And Colin looked at me and said, this is your wife. Like, do it. Let her know how much you love her. Let her know how much she means. That's how simple life is. When we live for Christ, we do that to the people around us. We put them before us. Sometimes before pragmatism. That's what this is about. You need to decide what is your life built upon. So I want to close with this. I want to invite the worship team up. Um, could you stand with me? This verse is a good verse to leave with, to give you direction and description as we try to build. What does it look like to build our life on solid ground? This way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me pray for us. Father God, I ask that your kingdom come and your will be done. Father, we surrender to you. Uh, we surrender these prayers that Drew and the team are going to lead us in. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name.